want to kind of review a little bit as we begin. Uh, probably by this time, four or five months ago, we started this series. Y'all remember what it's called? <laughs> it's probably on the screen, isn't it? <laughs> Cheaters. With all my heart. What are we to do, first and foremost, with all of our heart? Love God. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Secondly, we talked about seeking the Lord with all of our heart. Then serving the Lord with all of our heart. Then we ended the year with obeying the Lord with all of our heart. And all of these phrases we find in Scripture, every time you see with all your heart, it's connected to one of these four. And now we're talking about the fifth one now, which is trust the Lord with all your heart. Trust is not always easy. Trust means you're giving something to someone else. You're depending upon that other person for things that maybe you can't do yourself. That's not always easy for us. We live in a very arrogant culture because we think, you know, we can do most anything that we need. We can provide for ourselves. We can do whatever we want to do. But trust is a Certainly a difficult thing. Our key verse for this particular uh, part of this series, Trust the Lord with All Your Heart, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which tells us just that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He, the Lord, will direct your paths. We have been looking at the life of Abraham as an example of what it means to trust the Lord, to follow the Lord in a trust or faith relationship. Last week we talked about, it, it, by the way, if you look at Hebrews 11, if you want to open your Bibles there, and you can follow along with me out of your Bibles or from the screen. But we looked at verse 8 of Hebrews 11. It says, by faith Abraham obeyed. So obedience was a part of that. And, and we talked about two aspects of his obedience. He was leaving and he was following. He had to leave what was familiar in order to follow and obey the Lord. And that's the call for every believer in Jesus Christ. We have to leave and we have to follow. Have to leave the things of this world, sometimes the things that are dear to us, and that God calls us to leave in order to follow him. Some of those things are good Nothing wrong with many of those things. Some of those things are bad, sinful things that we need to leave. But nonetheless, we must leave in order to follow. But today, I want us to look at another aspect of Abraham's life, and we find it in verse 9. Hebrews eleven nine and 10. By faith, he dwelt. By faith, verse 8, he obeyed. By faith, verse 9, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith. Speaking of all those he's spoken of this far in Hebrews 11. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, 
they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham dwelt in a land as in a foreign country. So what I want us to understand today about Abraham and about us is that in order to trust the Lord with all of our heart, we need to obey, but we also need to live with an eternal perspective. And I want to show you what that looks like this morning from God's Word. It says that Abraham dwelt in this land that is the land of promise. He left his homeland, and now he's dwelling in this promised land that God had, had promised to him, but not yet had given it to him. He's dwelling here as a foreigner. It's the word you may see in the old King James is he sojourned. And it just means to reside as a foreigner. Now, I want to share with you several things that that means. You see, when we're trusting the Lord with all of our heart, the perspective that we will have is that this world is not our home. Verse 13, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The word pilgrim, again, just means resident foreigner. We grew up in Louisiana, Tan and I did, South Louisiana, and everybody thinks, well, that's Cajun country, right? But did you know that not all South Louisiana is Cajun country? You know, there is a far uh, eastern toe, if you will, or uh, somewhere around the toe or the, uh, of the state that's really not Cajun country. It's more like South Georgia people, country folks, uh, Louisiana rednecks. Um, eight miles from the Mississippi line is where we grew up. In fact, we were born, I was, in Mississippi. And um, most of Tana's family hails from Mississippi. Most of mine hails from Mississippi. So we were more like you people. But God called us to leave our, our home and go dwell in a foreign country. <laughs> when we moved to Cajun country, it was a different world. It was not like what we had grown up with. They talked different. I had, it was so funny. They laughed at us so much trying to adjust to their way of doing things and their language and all of that. We were pilgrims there. I would knock on the door visiting people and I would introduce myself. And the first word out of most of their mouths were this, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> I mean, I didn't say a word. They could just tell by the way I talked that I wasn't a resident. I was a resident foreigner. But we love the Cajun people. We still do. They're still some of our best friends over there. And, uh, but we were not of them. We were a resident foreigner ministering to them. That's how we as believers are. This world is not our home. We're foreigners here as believers in Jesus. We're resident foreigners. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So again, the Bible reminds us in another place, that's what we are. We're just sojourners. So the world's not our home. To trust the Lord with all our heart 
recognizes that. You're not home yet. We're talk a little bit about what that means. Next, we need to understand as resident foreigners, the world is going to treat us as such. The world is going to treat us as strangers and foreigners. Don't be surprised when the world treats you like you don't belong here. Because guess what? You don't. John, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Why does the world hate Christians? Because the world hates Jesus. And the world hated Jesus. If you were of the world, verse 19, the world would love its own. Be careful when the world loves you. That says something about you, that you look a lot like them, that you're doing the things they want you to do, and, and therefore they love you. Be careful if the world loves you. That ought to be a danger sign to you. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why does this nation, even the one that we thought we could call a Christian nation, why does this nation up in arms against Christians and not against other faiths? You ever wondered that? Why do other faiths get more freedom than Christians get? Don't be surprised. Jesus said it was going to happen. Why? Because we're foreigners here. They're going to treat us like we don't belong. Verse 20, remember the word Jesus said that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus, by the way, is the perfect example of this world not being our home. Where did Jesus come from? Heaven. And he came down here. How long was he here? 33 years. And he kept telling the disciples, he said, I came from my father and I'm going back to my father. And where I'm going, you know, in the way you know. They said, well, where are you going and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the father but by me. He talked about going home all the time. He said, I'm going to be separated from you for a little while, but in a little while you'll see me again. This is not your home. Jesus was a perfect example of that, and followers of Jesus are the same way. Listen, folks, Christians, we're not supposed to fit in here. So stop trying to. I never cease to amaze how the world, uh, the, the, the Christians trying to look like the world. Listen, to the world, if you're a Christian, you're an oddball, you're a freak especially if you live like one. And one of the church's biggest problem is that we're trying to not look like an oddball to a lost world. We want to be saved, but still look like we're lost. Thinking if we look more lost, then we'll appeal to the lost world. That's so backwards, I don't even know where that came from. I do know where it came from. You want to hear? The pit of hell. I saw a picture the other day of some well-known Christians. You would know, many of them would know who you're, and I'm sure they were just messing around. I don't want to stand in judgment of them, but, but they were dressed like thugs. 
and they were making gang signs, trying to look cool. But they, you know, they claim to be Christians, but they're dressed like thugs, making gang signs, trying to look cool. I just was wondering, did that make Jesus more palatable to the gang members? Maybe was that their motive, or were they just trying to look cool? Got me to thinking about this. Why the church and Christians think the way to appeal to the world is to look like them. We're not supposed to look like them. We're not supposed to fit in. We're weird. Accept it. Embrace it. And be as weird for Jesus as you possibly can. I don't, and I don't mean strange as in freaky, but just if you just live like Jesus and you let Jesus live through you, you don't have to try to be weird. They'll think you're weird anyway. I mean, who forgives when an offense is done? No, the world doesn't. They get revenge. And when you don't seek revenge but forgive, you're weird. Who doesn't run around on their wife or their husband? And who, who, who doesn't have sex anytime they want to outside of marriage? Followers of Jesus, that's weird. Y'all are freaks. You see, just live like Christ. If the lost world isn't drawn by the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ, then our meager efforts to woo them by looking like them will end in failure. So the world is going to treat us like strangers and foreigners. Don't be surprised at that. Embrace it. And be as much like Christ as you can be. The next thing that we understand here is that the world, in, in order to trust the Lord... With all of our heart, we understand we're strangers and foreigners. We're going to be treated like that. But here's one thing that will probably hit more closely to home is, is that this world is not supposed to be a perfect utopia. Somehow when we get saved, we think God is going to solve all of our problems down here. How many of you have had all of your problems solved? How many of you have never lost a loved one? How many of you have never gotten sick? How many of you never lost a job? How many of you have never suffered heartache and pain? You see, in order to trust the Lord with all of our heart, we have to understand that this world is not to, supposed to be perfect. This world is not where we should be comfortable. This world's not going to be safe. It's not going to be always a life of ease and peace. And we think it should be. But if you read these stories, and I will bring you, if you would, to chapter 11. These won't be on the screen, but I want you to look in your Bibles at chapter Hebrews 11. And I want to pick you up in verse um, 33, or verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. But you could go back and read their stories. In the, in the Bible. And it talks about their victory. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Who was that? Daniel. Quenched the violence of fire. Who was that? We talked about them recently. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword. That would be someone like Paul who was scheduled to be beheaded. And then the church prayed and and. and the angels came and took Paul out of prison, and they didn't even know what had happened. 
Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Wow! Don't you wish the Christian life were just like that for everybody? Every problem we ever had, we got escaped from. Isn't that what it's supposed to be down here? Isn't that what we expect it to be down here? Yeah. That's why it keeps going. Others were tortured. Tortured. Not accepting deliverance. One of your things you ought to be reading is everybody, every Christian needs to get them a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can't read much of that stuff at a time. One or two stories is about all you can handle at any given time, but you need to be reading that. You need to be reading about how the Christians who've gone before you, even the Christians who are facing these types of things in our generation, just not in our country, are being persecuted and killed and tortured because they identify with Jesus Christ. See, American version of Christianity is everything's supposed to work out neat and peaceful and comfortable. But when we trust the Lord with all of our heart, we have to accept the fact that no, this world is not a perfect world. Bad things are going to happen to us even though we identify with and sometimes because we identify with Jesus Christ. We don't get our full benefits here. He goes on, still others, verse 36, had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned, some were sawn in half. Some were tempted, slain with the sword. Some wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented. Hey, don't sign me up for that, Jesus. Sign me up for utopia. And if I can't have a perfect life, then I don't want to follow you. To trust the Lord with all of our heart means we trust him when things are good and we trust him when things are bad. We don't give up. We endure to the end. Things are not always going to work out right. We're going to have hardship. We're going to have suffering and disease and death here. Your world We'll get turned upside down here. Sometimes like that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 11 says, We have this treasure. What's the treasure he's talking about? You have to read before that and you realize it's, it's Jesus. It's, it's this gospel of Christ within us. We have it in an earthen vessel. That's us. We're the earthen vessel. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Listen to what Paul writes. We are hard pressed on every side. You ever felt like that? Everywhere you turn, trouble, 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 trouble. Hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, confused, bewildered. Why? But not destroyed. Or but not in despair. Persecuted. But not forsaken. Struck down. But not destroyed. Always 
carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. You're not going through anything Jesus hadn't already been through. You're not suffering anything that the Son of God has not suffered. Not even temptation. For he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. We're always carrying in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. The world, we don't need to look like the world. The world needs to look at us and see that we can suffer with joy. That we can have trust and faith when we don't have all the answers. And that we can walk through these valley experiences and have the abiding presence and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The world looks at us and scratches their head. How can they have such peace when they're going through such turmoil? Verse 16 and 17 of 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day after day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and I know what you're thinking. Paul wrote this not knowing what I'm going through thousands of years later. He can't call what I'm going through light affliction. He can when you compare it to what he compared his affliction to. First of all, think about what Paul went through. We don't have time to go and look at what he all went through. But he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. How can he say my affliction is momentary? Well, I've been going through this hardship for so many years. It's short and it's light when you compare it to what he compares it to. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When you compare it to what God has prepared for you in heaven. And what God is working in you. Whatever affliction, whatever suffering, whatever hardship we're going through is light and momentary compared to the weight and the eternality of the glory that God has prepared for his people. It's just a matter of your perspective. Those who trust the Lord with all their heart keep an eternal perspective, especially when things are terrible down here. You've got to keep your eyes on the prize. One more thing about the world, and I'm probably going to have to stop here and finish the rest of it next week. The world, those who live, those who trust the Lord with all their heart, recognize the world's not their home. Therefore, they're going to be treated like strangers and foreigners. They're going to have to accept hardship as part of God's education and training. It's not going to be perfect here. And they also will have to acknowledge that the world is passing away. This is a temporary world. We can build monumental structures. We can build what we think are permanent buildings and towers. And the Bible has to remind us that all this is going to melt. With fervent heat. Look at Hebrews 11, 9. Let's go back and read that verse 8 and 9 again. Verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in what? Tents. How many of y'all live in a tent? 
Really? Nobody? You wouldn't dare. It's where Abraham lived. What's a tent? I bet even if your house burned down, you wouldn't live in a tent, would you? You'd find a way to get your hotel room or bunk in with your family members or something. Tents. No, nah, well, they do that if we're going camping. I mean, I don't, I like to camp, but I want to sleep in a tent my whole life. What's a tent? It's temporary. That's the emphasis here. Abraham, by faith, he lived in a tent. God, you've made me the father of many nations. That's what you told me. God, you said I'll have this descendants as numbers, the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. God, you said a, a king that would rule forever is coming from me. Certainly I deserve a palace. Certainly I deserve great wealth and fame and position and authority and power. No. Abraham had to dwell in a tent. Why? Why? What does this point us to? It points us to the fact that everything in this life Everything, I don't care what it is, everything in this life. You point me to anything in this world, and I'll tell you the same thing about it. That includes you and me. That includes your wealth. That includes your home, your property. That includes anything you have. Anything fits in this category. Everything is passing and failing and fading and temporary. And the Bible tells us that in 2 Corinthians 4.18, for we do not look at the things which are seen. A person who trusts the Lord with all of his heart does not put all of his marbles in temporary junk. You ever been to the dump? You pass that little dumpster out there on your way out. One of the things the youth did this weekend is one of their mission projects was clean out that basement. There's stuff in there from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s that's just junk now that somebody thought was precious back then. You got stuff in your closet that needs to be in that dumpster. You thought it was precious, but you ain't touched it in 25 years. It's junk. And we hang on to junk. And we got to let go of it. I'm going to quit preaching when Bob quits amen in me. (laughs) So you're the target now, buddy, not me. (laughs) That's right. Amen. Yeah, we need to have a rummage sale. We want to profit from our junk, don't we? We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We look at the things which are not seen. That doesn't make sense. How can you look at something you can't see? Back to Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith 
is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. A life of faith, a life of trust in the Lord doesn't look at what they can see and put all their marbles and faith and trust in that. They put their faith and their trust in what they cannot see, what they've been promised. For everything you can see, he says, is temporary. If you can see it, it's temporary. If you can touch it, it's temporary. It's fading. That's why he tells us in 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is what? Passing away. And everything in it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, to trust the Lord with all your heart means this is how you live. You don't treat this world as your home. You're not surprised when you're mocked for being a Christian. You don't expect this world to be safe and easy and comfortable and everything works out perfect. And therefore, if you don't, you're going to deny God. And you realize that everything you can put your hands on is not worth trusting in. you got to trust in God and His promises. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. What are you trusting in? What you can see? What you can touch? What you can save? Your own strength, your own wisdom, your own power? Are you trusting in the fact that everything's going to work out good? In fact, the Bible does promise that. He says all things work together for good. That doesn't mean everything's going to happen perfectly. But whatever does happen, bad or good, it is for your good. If you love God. Would you ask the Lord this morning, every person in this house, Lord, help me to trust you like that. You say, I'm a human being too, and I know how easy it is to forget these truths. When things don't always go the way you plan it or expect it. And you're forced to trust the Lord. Most of you know what our family's been through this week. It's our little grandbaby came near tragedy. It scared us. But it forced us. We had a choice. Freak out. Or faith in. We chose to put our faith in God. No matter what. Thank you for praying for our little grandbaby. God's answering your prayer. He's doing much better. 
But God's still God, no matter what. And he's worth trusting, no matter what. There could be someone here today that's never really trusted the Lord. They've never really been saved. You've never trusted him with your sin. You see, you have to trust that if you give him and confess your sin, that he will forgive you and save you. You can't be saved without faith. You have to believe that what Jesus did on the cross was for you. You have to trust that when he died, he took your place. You have to trust that when he rose again, he gave you the power to live forever because of your faith in him. Will you trust him enough to ask him right now, Dear Jesus, will you forgive me of my sin? Will you save me? I do believe you took my place when you died. I do believe you rose again to give me eternal life. Please save me and forgive me.